Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Ryan McGuire. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. And I'm happy to have you, my man. Uh, like I said before we hit record, it looks like you got some uh, fun, exciting things going on in your life. Uh, and I'm looking forward to kind of getting into your backstory. But before we get to that point, Ryan, I just kind of want to run through a few questions I like to ask all the guests just to kind of kickstart our conversation, so to speak. So the first question I would like to ask you and I'd like to know about you, Ryan, is how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings, on most days? Yeah. Um, depending if I'm on the back country or front country, my mornings can look very different, but I would say uh, in my front country day-to-day -day life, the first thing I try to do is get my bare feet on the ground and get in front of the sun. I try to wake up with the sun every day. And uh, typically it involves something with my dog playing fetch. And I try to start my mornings with like thoughts of gratitude try to avoid the cell phone for the first hour or so and just kind of think about what I want to get done in the day and, and the things that I'm grateful for. And then almost immediately after that, I'm getting into my first workout. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, when you say, uh, you know, get your feet on the ground, um, is that kind of referring to like grounding where it's just like your bare feet and you're outside and you mentioned the sunshine or is that kind of referring to something different? No, you kind of hit it on the head there. I'm a big advocate of spending a lot of time barefoot. I've done a lot of barefoot adventures. So that's something that I try to prioritize for health um, and just my overall feelings. Okay. Well, man. So, yeah. Um, okay. I want to just ask you a little bit about, uh, you said you get your, your first, if you're in the front country, you're going to get a workout in, your first workout in. At some point in the morning, uh, are you usually doing like multiple workouts in a day when you're on the uh, front country, so to speak? Uh, and if so, what do those multiple workouts look like? What type of training are you doing? Um, since we're kind of at that point, let's just talk about uh, how you train and what that looks like uh, throughout your week and, and uh, your training cycle, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. Happy to share about my personal training philosophy. Um it's very specific based on whatever goals I have coming up, uh, but I'm typically always going to have two uh, workouts per day, whether one of those is um, typically going to be weights, which is in the morning. So that's going to look something like metabolic conditioning. Uh, it's typically high heart rate and heavy weight. Um, and then something in the afternoon that's a little bit more adventurous. So trail run, mountain biking, rock climbing. And sometimes those will shift when they happen in the day. Um, now, again, there is exceptions. Uh, the last several months, um, I've been focusing on the assault bike. So I haven't been focusing as much on the lifting portion. Um, I'm a high rocks athlete, which is a, a hybrid racing style that being able to move heavy weight is a big part of that sport. So I've trained a lot of that the last year or so, but moving into the world record attempt for the assault bike, it was really about just how many hours could I have my ass in the seat. So rather than putting in this huge effort at 7am and kind of toasting myself, 
I kind of pulled that back a little bit so that the middle five to six hours of the day, I could constantly be pedaling. Uh, now I'm shifting towards a new FKT, a 500 mile run. And I'm kind of following that same program where I'm still getting a good lifting session in the morning, but I'm walking anywhere from like two to five hours per day with a 20 pound weight vest on. So the middle of my day, anytime I'm basically on a computer, I'm rucking on my treadmill. So I'm just walking all day long, trying to get in as many steps as possible, as much time on feet as possible. Okay. Um, like with your, uh, weight training or, or when you're training with a, a barbell or however, however you do it with weights, um, is that similar to maybe what we would see maybe some CrossFit type athletes doing, or is it CrossFit type training or not even anywhere close to that? Uh, the last year or so I've begun to do less barbell. Um, I'll still use the barbell for certain things like, like overhead presses and such, but I'm trying to focus more on like multi-plane movements. So I'm using a lot of sandbags, kettlebells, um, sled pushes and sled pulls, uh, really more what you would call like functional fitness movements. Okay. Awesome, man. Okay. <clears throat> Second question here, uh, Ryan, to kind of kickstart our conversation What's your favorite book or a book that you like to gift often? And of course, if there's more than one, please feel free to share. Um, and then I know that you have your own podcast, so we're going to touch on that in a minute. But um, if you listen to podcasts yourself, you have a favorite or go-to podcast. So favorite book, most gifted book, and then favorite podcast if you are consuming podcasts. Yeah. Um, so I am a nonfiction reader. So I don't really have a lot of good like story books to give out, but I have a rule, which is I buy a book so that I can give a book. And uh, if you haven't tried this, it's a great idea because then you don't pile up your house with a million books. So I try to read a book and then think of a person that that book would mean a lot to and, and give that book to them. The one I've given out the most is Born to Run. Uh, You're just speaking about the podcast. I just had Christopher McDougall, the author of Born to Run on my uh on my podcast and born to run is about this, the story of ultra runners. They go down to the copper canyons in Mexico and they race with these tribes of indigenous folks known as the Tarahumara. And it's a really cool adventurous story, but it's still in that nonfiction where you get a lot of practical, cool historical facts um, built into this, hero's journey so uh born to run i definitely recommend even if you're you don't have to be a runner to read it at all like anybody would enjoy reading it it's just like a really cool adventure book um the second one was podcast right um let's see what podcast am i listening to <laughs> um one podcast i've been listening to later lately so there's a company called meat eater which is uh steven ranella's um, podcast and company and every other episode they do trivia and so meat eater has a trivia and it's basically all trivia about hunting fishing conservation and cooking which that swallows a large part of my life so a lot of times if i'm in the car and i don't feel like listening to music or an audiobook i'll just put on trivia and i'll just like you can just play along with it as, it, as it's going and i feel like all of the questions are pretty um relatable to my life so i like to get on there and just learn new things about about the outdoors 
Okay, love it, man. Um, you mentioned music. Uh, what type of music are you going to be listening to on those drives that you uh, just mentioned, Ryan? That's a good question. Um, my music choices definitely depend on what kind of vibe I'm in. If I'm in like a peaceful vibe, it might be like Trevor Hall, Rising Appalachia. If I'm in more like a, if I'm lifting weights, it's going to be rap music. So either like J. Cole or some old gang star. And then if it's kind of, uh, if I'm in like a high intensity interval training workout, it's usually going to be some sort of EDM mix, something that's just loud and obnoxious for like an hour straight. Love it, man. That's, that's awesome. Okay. Um, who the wild things are podcast. Uh, let's, let's talk about that, man. That's, that's your podcast. Uh, what's, what's it about? Why did you start doing the podcast and, uh, give us a little details on that. It's, uh, it sounds, uh, interesting and intriguing to me. Yeah. So the podcast started, I believe in 2020 and I was seeing a lot of sort of negativity and people struggling through COVID, um, which turned out to be one of like the coolest um, time periods of my life because I got to be outdoors so much and I wanted to kind of share uh, stories from different outdoors people mm -hmm. and uh, fitness people and survivalists and adventurers that would inspire hope and, and share new stories. And from what I've heard, I think we've, we've done a pretty good job at that over the last couple of years. Um, we just recently built this new podcast studio, which I'm in right now. Um, so that's kind of a, a new addition to the podcast that used to be virtual. And now I do most of them in person, which I really enjoy. And yeah, like I said, it's just um, talking to different folks from the adventure, survival, fitness communities. Um, so really, I always feel like if I'm directing my podcast in a way where my um, my ambitions are, that it'll come off authentic and it'll be a relatable story that that inspires people. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't feel the podcast has never felt like work. I enjoy doing it. It's very fun for me. And yeah, I just feel blessed that I get to talk to all these really cool people who taught me so much. Now with your podcast, Ryan, are you um, similar to, 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 to what I'm doing with curious and candid? Are you seeking out your uh, guest story or is it more kind of like, Hey, they're a professional rock climber. So we're going to spend 60 minutes talking about rock climbing. Like what is kind of like your aim, so to speak with, uh, these conversations that you're having on your podcast with the guests that you bring on, or is it a uh, very, you just kind of let it go wherever? Yeah, it's pretty, um, pretty ambiguous in terms of the conversation. I don't, I don't lead it really in any direction. I, if I don't know the person on a friend to friend basis, then I'll certainly put in some groundwork and make sure that I'm well-versed on what they've got going on in their life. And I like to, give context like I like to open up and just have people share a little bit about how they got to where they are but once the listener kind of understands who the guest is then I just kind of let the conversation go free flow and and a lot of times I'm really using the podcast selfishly right I'm having people on that I'm really interested in and asking them questions that I truly want to know and recording it and hopefully other people get to 
to learn those same things. So, yeah. Now, uh, why did, why did you, um, start the podcast? I mean, a lot of people, uh, have different reasons why they start podcasting. It's now seems to be kind of like everybody has a podcast, right? But, uh, what was like the initial why or reason for you to, um, you know, grab a mic and, and grab a guest and ha start having conversations? I know you kind of mentioned it started during the COVID times, but do you, do you kind of remember why you actually wanted to go in that route with the podcast? Yeah, it was actually, it was just a conversation uh, with my partner at the time. And I was just saying that I wanted to do something where we could spread positivity about the outdoors and, it started as an Instagram live podcast. So we were just like, okay, I'll just go live. And I started asking a couple of friends. They all said, yeah, I'd love to do it, which I was shocked because that first thing when you're starting a podcast is you're like, how am I going to get people to agree to this? And it turns out that most people are just really nice. Like you just reached out to me and I'm like, sure, let's do it. Um, so I wanted to share these powerful stories that I had heard, I had heard and it started on Instagram live. We recorded it and people seemed to really enjoy it. So we just kind of ran with it from there. Awesome, man. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, in the last year, Ryan, what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned? Mm. In the last year, what life lesson? I've learned a lot. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I would say that there's like no there's no point of arrival mm. um life is like a constant pursuit and you have this you have this feeling that one day you're going to get to a point where you understand everything or you've mastered whatever subject it is like for me outdoor skills i'm like always trying to learn new skills and um you know new plants that i can eat or learn more about hunting or new ways to tie knots for rock climbing and you realize that there is no point of arrival it's just this constant pursuit of skills knowledge and an adventure and realizing that i'm never going to know it all is it's a really peaceful thing because then it takes a lot of the the pressure off my shoulders do you remember when uh no point of arrival kind of entered into your uh consciousness so to speak or was there an experience that kind of really hit that home? I'm assuming it's probably just a collection of life experiences to get to that point of no point of arrival. But was there a time where you feel like, man, I you really grasped onto that concept, or um, has it again just kind of be, be has it just kind of been a ever evolving concept or philosophy? Yeah, I think I think it comes through failure, right? Like you have these waves of life where you're going up and everything's going really great and you feel like you're about to hit the climax of whatever this thing is whatever the paramount point of whatever your endeavor is and then you fall short and you got to rebuild and you realize okay there that there isn't actually a point life just kind of moves in waves there's no there's no mountaintop okay cool man love it uh well, you kind of just said uh, this last question is, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, word? And no point of arrival could could be that. Um, but outside of that, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, word? If there is more than one, you can obviously feel free to share. 
Yeah, I think on that same vein, one that I use a lot in my kind of uh, more like ultra distance type challenges is this two shall pass, which yeah. goes right along with that, which is if you're riding the wave and you're going up and up and up and it's feeling great and you're absolutely ecstatic, just acknowledging like this is a high and this too shall pass. I will come back down. It's not always going to be this great. And then when you're in the trough or the bottom of the wave, just knowing like, yeah, this is a bottom, but this too shall pass. And just kind of riding the wave out and uh, not denying either of those feelings. Don't deny the good or the bad feelings, but just acknowledging that they're not necessarily here to stay. Mm. <laughs> I said that quote uh, many a time in my life uh, and, and within recent times as well. So that's a great quote. Um, okay, Ryan, I want to transition into uh, kind of the, 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 your, your, the, the beginning of your story, so to speak. And this is uh, usually uh, my favorite part of, of each conversation, just getting into the backstory of each guest. So talk about where you actually grew up, if you don't mind. Um, paint that picture for all of us that are uh, listening uh, what life was like for Ryan when, uh, he was a, a young person. So, um, family dynamics, did you play sports? Did you grow up, uh, you know, free range and outside a lot? Uh, what was that, the academic side of things like for you? Um, walk us kind of through, uh, up to high school. And then I've got some questions to kind of move us on from those high school years. Okay. Yeah. So, I moved around a lot as a kid when I was really young. Um, I was born in Indianapolis, moved to Colorado, then to Texas, and then to Ohio. Moved a bunch in Ohio, but ultimately ended up spending most of my youth in Ohio. Um, as a kid, my favorite thing was just like playing in the creek, running around, fishing, and hanging out in the woods and playing sports. Um, I would say, honestly, not much uh, has changed. I still like to play play sports and run around in the woods. Um, those kind of have been a constant for me my whole life. Um, came from a big broken family, but um, had a pretty good upbringing. I have... Um, when I think back on my childhood, I think most of like the things that I cherish most are time spent outside and then traveling, um, sort of that, that sense of adventure and that sense of, um, connection with the outdoors and, um, whether that be playing sports or, uh, just hanging out with friends, whatever that be. Um, so yeah, that was kind of how I think back about my childhood and, yeah. Okay. Feel free to dig in anywhere that you'd like. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, sports. What sports did you play? What uh, sport or sports did you kind of stick with up through high school if, if you did play sports in high school? Yeah. Um, so in terms of like team sports, I played basketball, baseball and football. Um, kind of interesting story was I was always a really big, strong kid when I was younger and kind of fat, too. You wouldn't believe it now, but um, yeah, I was a chubby kid and played offensive line and then I actually broke my foot in half. I had a benign tumor and uh, yeah, broke my foot in half. I was in a cast from my toe to my groin, like upper thigh. And after that, I got really tall and skinny and got faster and started playing quarterback. So 
that ultimately became my my full time love was was football and and playing quarterback. So that was a big part of my time growing up as well. Okay, were you? Uh, so you said you spent most of your younger years in Ohio. So uh, Browns fan, Bengals fan, no Ohio pro football uh, team fan. What what were the teams or the the athletes growing up that you kind of idolized or looked up to? Because um, most of us that played sports when we were younger um, had some sort of idol or team that we kind of cheered for. Yeah, I'd say in terms of like professional sports, we we had lived in Colorado and all my mom's family was in Colorado and we all loved the mountains. So we, like me and my brothers and sister always loved Colorado. We talked about it all the time growing up and um you know how we were going to move back here one day and which we have which is great but um we uh we were all denver fans so it was always the denver broncos in the 90s it was john elway and then as he got older peyton manning you know playing quarterback those were kind of the the guys that i looked up to also i loved michael vick growing up yeah. uh, michael i mean it didn't age well because of the whole dog thing but the ability to play such a cerebral position with that much athleticism it was something that I hadn't ever seen out of anybody else at that position he was just so unique um and although I'm not a tenth of the athlete he is I always like pictured myself like I want to be a dual threat quarterback that can make big plays and is fun to watch yeah man I had uh, Michael Vick's uh uh cleats my freshman year uh, in college when I played football and I remember I th I think uh he led the Falcons into Lambeau field one year and, and won there, which had never been done. And I, I really think that a lot of people, uh, this younger generation, they, they, I mean, they don't even really know who Michael Vick is. They've forgotten about him. And now kind of like that dual threat quarterback is, um, you know, we, we see it a lot more now than we did probably when we were growing up, but Michael Vick, man, he was, yeah, he was, I mean, that dog thing kind of did him in, but before that, uh, I mean, he was, he was, yeah, he was a stud. So I, that, that's cool. You uh, kind of looked up to him now uh, in terms of school, did you enjoy school? Did you enjoy academics? Did you, did you go to school because you had to, like most of us talk about the academic sides when, uh, when you're younger, Ryan, please. Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't love school, but I did, I did well enough. I did well enough to, make it so that it didn't interfere with my life. Um, I was the first guy in my family to never get kicked out of a high school. Um, so that was exciting. Um, and yeah, I just, I kind of stayed out of trouble when I was younger. I think for the most part, there was some exceptions to that, but yeah, I did well enough in school and uh, went to college after that and kind of checked those boxes because that was, that was kind of, the direction that I was told to steer in and, and I'm glad I did. Um, you know, I, I am a very passionate learner. Like I love to learn. I don't know necessarily that my educational path taught me all the things that I was looking for. Um, but luckily today, all the information is free and it's all available for you to go get. So, uh, yeah, I've always loved to learn and, and, uh, yeah. That's that's kind of my my path. Yeah, man. Okay, uh, you mentioned you came from a, a broken home, uh, and I'm I'm assuming maybe I'm wrong, but the moving around was that kind of due to 
uh, just the dynamics of your family or did you guys move around a lot for another reason? No, that was just jobs. That wasn't really, really because of the family. Okay. Um, okay. Now, uh, how, how did, uh, coming from a, uh, a split family or broken home, however you were, were, were that, how did that affect you, uh, when you were younger, obviously in the moment, we don't really realize how our surroundings are affecting us, especially when we're younger. But a lot of times when we're older, if we take the time to reflect, we can kind of see some of like, uh, those family dynamics or adults in our lives, how they shaped us, affected us. Have you taken the time, which I'm assuming you have to kind of reflect and how do you feel like your your home environment when you were growing up Ryan affected you positively or negatively or or both Yeah I mean I don't think uh well I I mean I think I had a great childhood um definitely had some conflict we all have conflict growing up uh in a variety of ways I had tough older brothers which was something that you know you got to deal with and um there's a lot of uh, like drugs and violence and whatnot in my childhood. Um, but I don't, I don't think really that stuff shaped me. I think maybe some of it led me to grow up a little bit earlier than, than I would have otherwise. But, um, yeah, I don't think much of it has a lasting impact on me now. Um, maybe if anything, it made me a little tougher, honestly. Uh, I think I was kind of like, I imagine myself as like kind of a whiny kid, but when you grow up in an environment like that, it kind of builds some resilience. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. Um, you went to college. Uh, did you play sports? What did you study and what were you pursuing when you went to college, Ryan? Yeah. So I played football in college, um, played quarterback, um, but it didn't, I actually hated it. Um, so I got out of that pretty quickly. Um, studied accounting and finance. And my primary study when I was in college, like the focus, I guess, of my thesis was on a term known as microfinance. So essentially trying to alleviate poverty in developing countries by using microloans for those that are under leveraged. So essentially extending loans to small businesses and Africa, India, different places. And that was kind of, and still is something I'm passionate about is just trying to be of service through extending financial credit. Okay. Where did you gain the interest in uh, this thesis that you did and, and kind of uh, the realm that you were just talking about? Cause it's something I, I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about at all personally, but where, where did this uh, interest in this area of study come from and, and being of service in this way? Uh, there was a bank that I found out about called Grameen Bank. Mm -hmm. And um, and they were doing this sort of thing where they were lending money in essentially the exact opposite fashion that modern banks were doing. So modern banks typically men lend to men. They were lending to women. Um, modern first world banks use interest. They use social pressure instead of interest. Modern banks will only loan if it's a high enough amount. Grameen Bank would loan as little as was needed to create the textile company's, um, you know, loom or whatever tool that person needs to to create the goods or services. So I just thought it was an interesting idea. Um, 
so that was i've always been interested in uh free market economics and just understanding how um people can generate um wealth and freedom for that matter i think that was kind of the the idea for me there okay why did you hate college football um well first of all i got injured i hurt my shoulder so that was kind of a bummer and I didn't feel like the coaches led with love. I felt like it was a very hateful environment, mm. uh, which is just not a recipe for, for like being really good at any sport. Uh, I think that's a really cool thing that they tie together in that book that Christopher McDougal ties together in born to run, which is this like heart centered approach to athletics. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I just, it was just a very hateful, toxic environment. And sometimes men think that that's what you need to be like a warrior and win and, and all these sorts of things. But ultimately you just cause fissures inside a team and animosity between teammates. Um, so I don't really think that that was something I was interested in being a part of. Hmm. Uh, e very ego driven. Is that, is that fair to say that toxic environment? Yeah, I think there's a lot of egos and, um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be ego in any kind of, any kind of team sport, but, um, it's just a matter of, of how you handle it and acknowledge it. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm very curious about leading with love and having like a heart centered, uh, approach to sport. Can you expound on that and, and. What does that kind of look like, uh, practically speaking, uh, Ryan? Yeah, so for me, it's like doing things for the the love of the game, right? You hear that term a lot. Um, so now in my life, it's a lot of um, adventure sports, which is like trail running or um, biking, mountain climbing, things like that. And I'm out there not just to compete or to win, or to beat somebody, but also just because I simply love just the action of what I'm doing. Mm, okay, cool, man. So uh, once you graduate from college, uh, did you kind of uh, get into what your degree was all about or did life take you in a different direction? Yeah, when I got out of college, um, I immediately went to survival school and started studying primitive skills. Um, I had always like kind of practiced these skills throughout my life in the wilderness and had never really shaped them or defined them. So, um, yeah, I just started really getting into the outdoors and moved to California. Um, and yeah, just really started getting into, um, trail running first was like the really big one. I was doing a lot of surfing. Um, yeah, just really focusing in on the outdoors. Still was working my normal job, but um, yeah, that was what I was doing in my free time. And what was your normal job at that time? Uh, business valuation, which is still what I do. So essentially consulting for startup companies. Okay. Okay, cool, man. Okay. Uh, why, why California? Why not uh, move... Uh to Colorado or were you in Colorado at that time going to college? Cause we didn't talk about what college you went to. I went to Wittenberg university in Ohio. So small school in Ohio and then moved out to California based on job offers and just basically the best access to the outdoors. 
Okay. All right. So survival school, what is, what does that look like? What does that entail? I, I don't think I've ever really heard of anything like that. Is that like a, a one year crash course or is it, uh, you know, what, what does it look like? Uh, I guess, practically speaking. No, it's just a two week course. Um, you go out, live in the, live in the woods with random strangers that you don't know. And a couple of guides and, um, you have very little food, um, very primitive gear and learn how to survive just living in a small tribe of people off the land and yeah just learning like practical skills and from there on out I kind of continued to refine and push those skills and yeah, yeah. okay okay now we got to get we got to get into the depths of this I, I guess you call it like primal living so to speak like you know, you mentioned that uh, you grew up like in the woods and in the creeks and things like that. And that's where you kind of found enjoyment as a young person. So obviously that's had some sort of lasting impact on you, Ryan. But like, what is the attraction for you personally to this primal living lifestyle or pursuing the outdoors and survival and and kind of, uh, you know, spending a lot of time barefoot and all that, like for you, what what is all of that? Can you kind of like, to the best of your ability, like express with words, like internally, what's going on inside of you with with this primal lifestyle, so to speak, please? Sure, um, I can. I think I understand your question. I can try and try and put it into words. Um, I would say the easiest way to explain it is it's just where I feel most like myself. Mm. Um, when I'm outside, when I'm trail running, or when I'm on a long solo trip in the woods, um, everything else kind of melts away by the wayside, and I can see my most authentic version of me. Mm. In order to spend a lot of time in the backcountry, um, you have to develop a certain level of fitness, and, and these are all my opinions, take it for what it is, but to spend a lot of time for me in the backcountry, I had to develop a certain level of fitness and then a certain knowledge and skill space. So uh, trail running became a really big part of my life. I wanted to be able to run really far into the backcountry and then survive using just a couple things that I brought with me, a knife and a blanket and a water bottle and figure out, you know, where the limits of human potential, my personal human potential lie and i think that's that's a big theme throughout my life is i've always been very interested with the limits of human potential whether that be in sport um like this biking thing i just took on or um being in the woods alone really far in the back country just understanding how far we can push ourselves so Okay, so you have kind of like your day job, I guess, that you kind of mentioned. Um, is this time in the woods uh, and 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 this 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 lifestyle that you've adopted? Is it uh, a type of it? I know you said it, it's where you feel like the most authentic version of yourself, but is it also a getaway and an escape from um, like the reality of the crazy world that we're living in or the pressures of this world and the adulting that we all have to do, the bills and stuff like that, your your day job, or am I missing the mark completely on all that? Uh, I don't really think of it as an escape. Um, and I think a lot of people think of 
like folks that spend a lot of time in the backcountry have to hate the modern world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of like the Hollywood thing is like you live like a hermit in the backcountry because you hate the modern world. But for me, it's not really like that. Um, I think there's some great things about the modern world. Yeah. I have a podcast that uses modern studio equipment and um, you know, I think there's a lot of great things happening. Like being able to share these ideas through a podcast would not be possible if I was a hermit in the woods. Yeah. Um, what I enjoy more is just learning and pushing my body and especially doing so with like-minded people. Um, I don't really think of it as an escape. I just think of like, you know, people have different hobbies. Some people play video games. Some people um, work on cars. I like to run far in the woods and eat things off the ground. So, yeah, I think we all just kind of have our own thing. And I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, it is perfectly fine. That's why the world's so beautiful and cool, because we're all uniquely uh, similar, but we're also uniquely different. Um, Now, I want to ask you... uh, if you don't mind, like, uh, in terms of like, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of the right words to use here. Um, but, uh, so like, you know, people will, uh, uh, I don't know if you want to use the word, uh, drugs, but like, you know, people will ingest certain, uh, substances to have an experience. Mm. Is that a part of your lifestyle or not? Are you asking if I take drugs? Well, I I don't know necessarily the politically correct way to ask that question. And I'm not trying to ask you if you take meth or something like that. But I know there's different, you know, substances that people take to have certain experiences. That's the best way that I can present that question to you without, uh, you know, being a jerk or assuming. Gotcha. Um, I guess like. Um, the, the most simple answer is, um, I have nothing against any of that stuff. I don't personally do a lot of it. Um, just because of my lifestyle, um, you know, the, the athletic pursuits don't mix super well with that stuff. Um, but yeah, I I have nothing against it. I think a lot of the more natural ones have a lot to offer. Um, I try to stay away from synthetic things in my life, but no disrespect on anyone that um that lives that life um so generally yeah i'm totally okay with all that stuff but it's definitely not a big part of my life at this point just because of the athletic pursuits okay cool man um okay now let's talk about these uh like ultra events and and the and the 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 long distance running and all this stuff what is it about the the endurance ultra type events that uh you uh enjoy that you are attracted to i know you said you like to kind of test the the human limits your own physical capabilities is that really what you're in pursuit of with these events or is it um some other uh value that you gain from it ryan sorry can you repeat the question yeah i'll I'll, yep i can so with the like the ultra events that you participate in and kind of chasing this this endurance in your life um, what is the attraction or the draw for you in these ultra events or these, these endurance events? Um, what, what is it for you that you're uh, seeking? Cause I know earlier you mentioned 
you want to challenge your 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 limits you're you're interested in that is it just that or is there something more to the ultra events yeah so i think in my life i feel really good when i have something out in front of me to train for um and those have grown and grown over the years uh, i didn't grow up running or anything like that so uh, i just was a football player but in football you're still training and getting ready each week for an upcoming opponent and now i kind of build my life around these different events so i have kind of races that are against other folks and then a lot of personal challenges which might be like a three-day ultralight run through the backcountry right and um or a something like a 24-hour bike that i'm doing by myself right not racing against anybody just setting a personal goal and and seeing where my own limits are so i kind of break it up into the two categories which is kind of an, an adventure or personal goal versus an actual race yeah okay and and what is the what is your pursuit or what are you trying to gain or glean from um having these these different uh you know events in your life or goals that's a good question i i think ultimately I'm trying to see how far I can push myself. Uh, I'm So for the races, I'm definitely in a, a competitive person and I dedicate part of my year to getting really good at, you know, whatever that event is. Um, and then for the personal things, I think it's just personal growth, personal experiences. I feel like every time I go out and do something that seems hard or uh, has never been done before, I kind of gain a notch in my belt, right? So next time I go into the mountains and I, or let's say, let's use, um, yeah, ultra running, for example, if I'm running a hundred mile race, I'm like, okay, this sucks really bad. But that other ultra I did, I got hailed on three times, 15 people were lost and missing. And I was in frozen water up to my nipples. This isn't as bad as that. And then I'll kind of compare down. And when you can compare down in life, it gives you an ability to manage whatever shit you're dealing with. So it may seem really bad right now, but it's not as bad as that other time I had to do this. Okay. Talk to me about this 24 hour assault bike record uh, that I saw on your Instagram. What, what's, what's that all about? Yeah. So I got some kind of like neurological thing that happened to my feet during a, um, an underprepared snowshoeing outing. Uh, I had like really cold feet and it almost felt like frostbite, but I had no skin damage. So then I basically couldn't walk. Both my feet, they would alternate hurting really, really bad. So something was going on with my nerves and I could barely walk. Like I definitely couldn't run. I had to have a cane. Like I was almost immobile from my boat, my boots soaking up so much ice and packing it against my feet for multiple hours. And so the only thing I could really do was ride an assault bike or a stationary bike. So I was like, okay, I might as well try and break the world record for that. And um, it had kind of been on my mind, like just wondering how far could someone do that? A gentleman in Australia, his name is Ethan Fleming. Uh, I think I'm going on his podcast maybe soon after. And he, uh, He's done a bunch of crazy stuff and he did 395 miles. I don't know what that is in kilometers. They use kilometers, but 395, 96 miles 
on a salt bike. And I was like, okay, we'll try to beat that. So there's a bunch of planning that went into it. Um, it was like a whole team effort. You have to have two witnesses at all times, alter or like two at a time, and they can't serve more than four hours. And so I had 24 hours to fill. Mm-hmm. So I had like, you know, a ton of different witnesses that were cycling in and out throughout. My mom had to sign them all in and out. I've got all this like nutrition plan set out on the side. So that's a big, it, it, it took a village is what I'm trying to say. Um, it had to be in a gym that was open 24 hours. So my friends, Bo and Ruthie, let me use their, their gym called V23 in Centennial, Colorado. And yeah, the doors had to stay open. Somebody had to be there the whole time. Um, got there the day of, started biking. Everything was going pretty well. Um, and I basically set a mile marker for every hour that I had to hit for the 24 hours. So I would bike about 18 miles every hour, and then I would have about um, two minutes to take a break on the hour. So I'd hop off, pee, talk to my team real quick, back on the bike for 24 hours. So the longest break I took was about three minutes at any given time. And yeah, it was brutal. There was um, there were some highs, some lows. I um, I had actually passed a kidney stone the night before my first one ever. I've never had a kidney stone before, but like I got this like weird pain and then my pee splattered everywhere. And it's like, what is going on? They're like, yeah, that's a kidney stone. So that was wild. Like the night before this whole thing. Um, yeah. A lot of other obstacles turns out because the, the assault bike is a fan bike, right? That's the, the resistance. So the air was actually blowing straight up into my nose, which you don't realize if you're just doing it for 20 minutes or whatever, but after 24 hours it had basically dried the entire inside of my face out. And so until like a week ago, like my nostrils had been just like dried blood and I was bleeding the entire time. So I was raising money for charity, a charity called Porter Billups, and I was wearing their T-shirt and I would be on the bike and I would just keep wiping blood all over it. So by the end of it, it looked like this like charity T-shirt, like somebody had got massacred in it. Um, another interesting thing is that I took in way too much salt too early. Mm, okay. so pace that was required. I could hold pretty easily for the first couple hours. So I wasn't sweating really bad, but I was taking in a ton of salt which made my stomach get like giant and distended and uh, it looked like I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I had a huge belly. And then uh, ultimately I finally was able to pass some gas and actually ended up shitting myself, which was unfortunate, but it's just like kind of how these things go. You just figure it out. And uh, yeah, I suited back up and finished it out. Had a lot of, really cool people come by. Another cool story is that there was this nine-year-old there who was the son of one of the guys helping me with nutrition. And he rode, I think, 25 miles. He's like a nine-year-old kid. So there's a bunch of people that like PR'd their longest bikes next to me during it. Um, But yeah, got to the middle of the night, felt pretty good. The cops came in the middle of the night because like no one else was awake. It's like four in the morning, but cops, they come all, or they stay out all night, which sounds like a really tough job, but they came and biked with me for like 30 seconds and then they're both tired and they're like, I'm done. But, um, yeah, it was cool. And just like a really big community of people. Um, I had 
broken the record at like I started at 9 a.m. and went all the way through the night and the next morning and I think at like 7 a.m. I had broken the records the last two hours that's kind of like just trying to paint time onto the record and a bunch of people came to the gym and there's like 10 other people around me all on assault bikes everyone just just riding so it was a really special moment and uh ended up doing 426 miles so I beat the previous world record by 31 miles um so yeah it it was a a special day and definitely I've said this before but when or if somebody breaks this it's theirs to keep because I'm not doing it again right right what what was kind of the nutrition like uh for you uh during this uh experience Ryan so it was a lot of uh, baby food. Um, I try to eat pretty clean. So the baby foods that you can get, they're like just whole ingredients, you know, bananas, oats, and mango was the one I used mostly. And if you look, you can find ones that pack a bigger punch than just like your normal squeezable apple juice. So uh, a lot of that, um, I use some heed, which is like a carb and sodium mixture i also had a separate carb max drink so doing a lot of liquid calories a liquid a lot of liquid carbohydrates and yeah stayed with that pretty consistently through the first like 12 or so hours i would do like i kind of had it formulaic right like getting in a certain number of carbs and calories based on two baby foods one carb max drink and one electrolyte drink right so i kind of have this this setup and every time the hour would hit, I would hit my break and the team would know refill this drink, refill that drink. He doesn't like this, but he does like that. And you're just kind of making little tweaks and adjustments until the wheels fall off. At which point you just try to eat and drink as much as you can. Like once the stomach thing happened, it was at like 9 PM. Like my legs were fine, but I couldn't really keep doing what I was doing because my stomach was in so much pain. And it turned out I had just taken salt too early, but then we had to slightly switch things up, pull back on some things, um, and then take more calories in somewhere else. So yeah, you, you get as planned as you can, as formulaic as you can, you really try and follow that plan, which is a good idea. But at some point, um, everything is out the window and you take down whatever food is possible. And then what is your nutrition uh kind of like uh on a normal ryan day let's just say again if you're in the front country what what are you what are you consuming uh on the day-to-day uh i eat a lot of meat um so high protein diet i'm pretty pretty interested in eating high quality locally grown grass-fed grass-finished beef or any kind of wild game. Um, I try to avoid eating factory farmed meat as much as I can. Uh, I eat a lot of fruit as well. So a lot of meat and fruit. Um, Veggies are another part of my diet, although I don't necessarily like to use the word veggies uh, because I think it's a little bit misleading. Specifically, it's more like underground storage organs. So things like tubers, uh, potatoes, uh, things like that. I'm not eating a ton of leaves or stems of plants uh, unless they're more like foraged. So, so uh, 
our friends out in Colorado that are vegan or plant-based, they, they haven't, they haven't got you to switch over, huh? No, uh, no, they haven't. And, but <laughs> I don't hate, I don't hate on anybody who is, uh, I actually say a lot of times that I think I have more in common with vegans than I do like mindless meat eaters. Um, there's a lot of people that will unfollow me or report my Instagram because I show dead animals or organs or whatever, and they think it's gross. But I think it's a lot grosser to eat meat and never think about the life that you're taking. And I think vegans a lot of times understand that better than us meat eaters. So, yeah, I just think the connection from food is really lengthening and I certainly grew up that way. Like I had a father who said we eat steak and then would also tell me that I can't kill a fish that I'm catching because we don't kill animals. And obviously I figured out how hypocritical that was like in my teens, but from an early age, it was like those two things are not the same when in actuality, like every steak you eat is part of an animal and it's part of their flesh and it was a living breathing thing. And yeah, I just like to acknowledge that. Um, doesn't mean that I can't eat meat, but just acknowledging that fact and the day that I'm unable to make a kill personally is the day that I'm a vegan from there on out. If I ever get to that point where it's like, I can't take the life, then I'll be a vegan. Okay. Love it, man. Interesting. Okay. Um, so let's, I want to talk about your, your mindset. Cause there's gotta be, um, a lot of growth in all of these, uh, events that you do, these pursuits that you do when you go out into the back country and you're, you know, doing, doing your, doing your thing. There's gotta be a, obviously you've gotta be, like you said, physically prepared. You've gotta be mentally prepared, but I'm assuming there's a lot of mental growth going through all these experiences every time that you go through them. So is that uh, an important, valuable part of all of this, uh, you know, that you are pursuing in your life, Ryan, is the growth of your mind and mindset? If so, can you uh, expound on that for a couple minutes, please? Yeah. Um, yeah, mental growth is a big part of it, for sure. I think um, I think one thing that I was missing in my youth, and I think as a modern civilization we're missing, is solitude. Um, and I, when I speak of solitude, I'm speaking to a time of... 24 hours or greater with no other human influence, meaning no books, no Netflix, um, no other humans around you. And I think it's a very small population of people who get to experience that in this day and age. And I found personally through my adventures that being alone completely changes the way that you think. Mm. Uh, all of these ideas that we're constantly taking in, all of the stimulus and then also putting out you know you're putting out stimulus as a as a podcaster all of those things when you're alone are now only between your ears and you have to settle everything by yourself there's no more looking for someone else's approval there's no more asking someone else's opinion on something it's now just you and your thoughts and your own abilities and your and your you're left to your own devices and i think for thousands, maybe millions of years, we have talked about these things as sort of a coming in a coming of age ritual, or um, yeah, really just any kind of fasting ritual where you go out and you're just stripping away everything except for 
what you have between your ears and on your person. And it's a very rare thing like this, this last hundred years, we've completely erased that. So, okay. Now, um, in, in, in terms of, uh, I want to get into, I want to, I want to go, okay. I want to go deeper here. So, uh, in terms of, uh, the spiritual side of things, uh, I want you to give us, if you don't mind your perspective, your thoughts on, uh, the, the spirit or the inner being, or however you kind of look at that in your life, because I mean, we're mind, body, spirit. So I'm assuming with your uh, experiences and knowledge, there is some sort of spiritual experience or spiritual part of everything that, again, you're pursuing and doing in your life. Can you, can you touch on that? Yeah. I mean, I'm a spiritual individual. I think that's a, a very personal thing for each of us. Um, a lot of people feel that in church or, um, in their, in their congregation. For me, I feel more of that spiritual, um feeling or enlightenment or connection when i'm in nature so that's really where i've gone like if you know somebody else goes to church i go um into the wilderness and i have that same kind of connection to a power greater than me do you, do you talk to that power or do you have like experiences where you feel like it's more of a spiritual experience than just you know going into the woods and doing your thing or or not I'm sorry. What's the question there? So, with like the 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 spiritual side of things, uh, this this higher power, this being that you were kind of talking about, do you, do you talk to that being, or do you have like these conversations with the the spiritual side of of your being, or or not? Um, I don't like necessarily talk to them out loud, like audibly. If, if that's the the question, I think. Um, yeah, I think the experience looks looks different for me. Um, it's more inside of me. I'm not like, um, you know, I grew up in church. I'm not like singing a worship song in the woods. But um, yeah, I, I certainly have moving spiritual experiences in the woods. And then, okay, so you 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 just mentioned you grew up in church. Did you grow up going to like a Christian church? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my my family is very Christian still to this day. And, um, yeah, my mom has always worked in or worked very closely with the church. So it was definitely a big part of my life growing up. Do you, do you have any, uh, I also grew up going to church and obviously in our country, that's a big influence. I think still to this day for a lot of people growing up, uh, do you have any thoughts on the kind of like, uh, the more, uh, organized religion side of things and, and some of those experiences growing up or, or not necessarily? Um, I think the, the folks that I grew up around were, were great people. Um, yeah, I'm personally not like really invested in any organized religions. Um, but I see a lot of benefit for folks that are, you know, I, I think it brings a lot of people community and health and happiness. So if that's, um, if that's how you find it, I think that's, that's amazing. Okay, cool, man. Um, talk to me about wild ride outdoors. That's something uh, I think is that like a kind of like a, a guide business that you you started. 
if I were to, hopefully I worded that correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but talk about that, would you? Yeah. So Wild Ride kind of um, is my own personal brand. So there's a couple different umbrellas, right? I have Who the Wild Things Are, which is the the podcast. Um, and then, yeah, like the the guiding and, and media side. Um, so we've done different workshops and trips all over the place. And um, yeah, we take folks out, teach them primitive skills, get them more comfortable with building shelter and finding water and procuring food in the wild. And uh, yeah, just developing those skills so that they feel more comfortable out in the bush. Okay. And then what, what's the, I got to ask you, uh, Ryan, what's the deal with uh, like wild is spelled with a, 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 a Y and then you're uh, it's spelled with a Y again in your, in your podcast. And I was sending you the zoom link with your email and with all the, I'm used to like a, an I obviously with like the word wild. And I, I had to keep checking. Okay. Did I, did I spell this correctly in terms of Ryan's wild? So what is that? Is that just kind of like, uh, you know, uh, adding a little flavor to the word wild or is there something specific with that? Yeah. I mean, it comes because like R-Y is like the beginning, Rye, like my name, right? That's why Rye was spelled like that. And then it was just kind of a, when we were developing the brand, just like a consistency thing, like you don't want the, but then we made, um, here I can show you, made the logo, which I really like, which is like the Y makes sort of like a shelter look, right? It's like, I a, love that. Yeah. Yeah, so that turned out really cool. And yeah, that's kind of, we ended up running away with it after that. Um, unfortunately, right after that, there was a CBD and THC company that came out called Wild. I think it's just Wild, not Wild Ride. But, um, you know, branding in the 21st century is hard, man. Everyone, like I'm sure you've run into it because your name is like kind of, what, what's the podcast name again? Uh, Curious and Candid. Curious and candid, right? So those words probably like pop up a lot of different times in podcasting and you have to like, there's like all this stuff about trademarking and you have to have, if you aren't going to spend a ton of money on buying the name, you have to have some kind of differentiator. And um, yeah, the, the why seems to be that thing for, for us in this case. Cool, man. Yeah. What What's your goal, Ryan, with, with wild and this, this brand and, and things like that. I know you've mentioned a couple of times, like service is something that's important to you personally. Um, what What is your goal? What's your vision? What are you pursuing um, career-wise with uh, your brand and 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 wild, so to speak? Um, honestly, kind of exactly what we're doing right now, which is just trying to share love for the outdoors and share a, a love for adventure. Uh, I don't want to push anybody to do the things that I'm interested in. Cause I think that everyone needs to do them. Um, I feel like that's like this thing on social media now is like, be like me, here's three steps to be like me. And it, I just, I, I don't think it's helpful. Um, but for folks that are looking for an outlet, um, I know at different points in my life, I was one of these people. It's like, I want to learn certain skills about the outdoors that seem to be um, harder and harder to find, right? They're skills that our grandparents or great-grandparents were very, um, very well aware of, whether that be like land navigation or flora and fauna around your house or in your local wilderness areas. Those are the kinds of things that uh, I'm interested in. And it can be hard to find information related to those sorts of things. So um, yeah, sh sharing that info and hopefully inspiring people to take on their own personal adventures. Hmm. 
I'm assuming uh, that you found yourself a, a pretty strong community of people that maybe have some similar interests to you out there in Colorado. Uh, would you speak on the importance of having a community? Because I know you mentioned solitude and, and having like that 24 hours of, of solitude, which I agree with you a thousand percent is important and very few people pursue that or know the value of that. But we do hear the word community thrown around a lot nowadays, which is also very important, having human in-person connection. Um, would you talk about uh, maybe the community that you you have out in Colorado and and what does that kind of mean to you, uh, Ryan? Yeah, uh, I think I think it took me a little while to understand it because early when I was really pursuing a lot of the wilderness efforts and skills, I was doing pretty much everything solo and I was definitely feeling a little bit unfulfilled mm -hmm. as those would come to a close. And it, it definitely taught me after a year or two, the importance of finding people that are interested in, in exploring these things alongside you. Um, so yeah, Colorado is a great place to be. There's a lot of people that know so much more than I do about different outdoors endeavors. And there's just so many people here that I can learn things from. And that's a, that's a big way for like me to make connection with somebody is kind of like a skill share, like people, um, like I have some friends that are on a, a 500 mile, um, trip right now and they've done all these really big trips and they were just sending me voice memos <clears throat> not too long ago about hey wanted to remind you of x y and z for your big trail coming up and they're just like sharing me tips and skills that i wouldn't have thought of mm -hmm. and yeah there's just i didn't have a lot of that kind of thing back east where there's like these giant group of really experienced and knowledgeable people that are willing to just share skills with me for no other reason besides like that they want to and that's kind of what community out here is is like okay when you when you go into the backcountry outside of doing something in terms of like the the touring or the guiding with wild ride outdoors do you, do you always go solo or do you go with other people uh that are within your community or friends of yours when you're uh going going into the mountains going in the backcountry no I, I go with my friends all the time yeah, yeah. i just got back from uh camping and climbing trip this morning that's where I was so with a, a buddy of mine and yeah we had a great time yeah cool yeah you asked me if we could push back the podcast a little bit from what my original uh you know presentation was for time because you said you'd be uh coming back from the mountains so that's that's awesome I saw some pictures I think of a creek or something on your uh on your Instagram stories earlier uh today too so um we're gonna start wrapping up I want to touch on a few more things with you Ryan uh, if you, uh, if you don't mind, um, mentors or people that you've kind of looked up to, I know you mentioned the born to run author, um, have there been some people that, uh, you know, that you've kind of like admired from afar or you would consider mentors. I know you just mentioned a few minutes ago, like people saying like, you know, be like me, here's the three steps. You're not really in all that, but I think most of us have somebody or some persons at some point in our life that we admire, look up to, or get some sort of inspiration or encouragement from? Have you found that in anybody or uh, just kind of always been solo? No, definitely. I'm certainly not like a, a lone wolf or anything. I, I have a lot of uh, mentors that I've received a lot of really great guidance from. And I think that's 
I mean, that's kind of the spirit of being a podcast host. You get you, and this is called Curious and Candid, but the reason you're a podcast host is because you want to learn from other people that you think are really interesting individuals. That's right. That's why you, why you start a podcast. And I've been lucky enough um, to have a lot of guests that are, are mentors to me and have inspired me. Um, one that comes to mind is Matt Graham. He was like the second episode of my podcast and we've been chatting lately and um, he's been helping me with this upcoming trip. Um, he's also done the Colorado trail and supported one of very few people. Um, and I'm attempting to do the Colorado trail. Uh, there's four versions of the Colorado trail that you can do, um, east to west, west to east. And then in the middle it splits. So you could go around the collegiate peaks to the east or to the west. So there's a total of four variations. And the one that I'm doing has never been completed, uh, unsupported. No one's ever done it. And so there's very few people that I can ask. Luckily, one of the people who's been on my podcast is one of the people who has done another variation of the Colorado Trail unsupported. And so he's like, here's what worked for me. Here's what didn't work. Here's who, you know, you may reach out to. This is the best time of year. Um, this is what to think about in terms of weather and nutrition and foot care and all these different things. Um, so yeah, he's a guy that I really respect and admire because he kind of has always done things his own way. And yeah, I always, I always appreciate that. Okay. So what is the Colorado trail? I've never, uh, heard of, of, of that reference before. Yeah. So Colorado trail, um, is like one of the famous long trails in America. It's, roughly 500 miles, 90,000 feet of elevation gain. And it starts in Durango and ends in Denver. So you basically run across the state uh, diagonally. Uh, I'll be starting down near Telluride, Durango, down in like the um, southwest corner, and then working up to Waterton Canyon. And I'll be taking the collegiate west route around the collegiate peaks, which is um, a little bit more elevation. So a little bit di more difficult, but also apparently more beautiful. So that will be my planned route. And yeah, I'll be going for to put up a new FKT. So hopefully FKT means fastest known time. So, yeah. And, and, and so are you, is this like, you're, you're going to be running this or is this like more of like just hiking or what does it look like with what you're going to be doing with your actual feet? Yeah, similar to an ultra, you're pretty much power hiking uphill and then running the flats and downs. Um, if all goes well, it'll basically be the same as 14 ultras in a row. So 14 days of an ultra. Um, the stipulation is that the unsupported style, so there's three different styles of like hiking. You could do fully supported, which means you can have somebody with you, giving you food, helping you out the entire time. There's self-supported, which means you send stuff or cash stuff along the way and you pick it up, get more food, get resupplies, blah, blah, blah. And then there's unsupported, which means you can't take anything from anyone. People can't even take pictures of you. You have to record it yourself. You have to have uh, means to charge the batteries. You have to carry every ounce of food that, you know, you're bringing from the start to the end. And yeah, it's just all on you for 500 miles or however long that takes you. And you're doing the latter, correct? I'll be doing the the last variation, unsupported. The, the hardest one, right? Uh, yeah, debatably. The thing is, like, you could call it the hardest, but 
um, the fully supported, you're going to have faster times. So um, in terms of FKTs, I don't necessarily think that uh, I don't really look at it as hardest or easiest. I looked at looked at it as what am I best equipped for? And I think with my passions being more about like being outdoors and this comfortability in the wilderness, I think the unsupported thing kind of favors me a little bit more. I'm not very fast. So if I was going to do it fully supported me in a foot race versus somebody who just won Western States, like I'm just going to lose, they're going to be faster than I am. Even if my crew is amazing. Um, the other thing is there's less logistics for unsupported. No one has to help you. You know, you don't have to ask all your friends and family to meet you here on this state and yeah. drop there on this state. So it's the it's the most simple, the most minimalist, and uh, yeah, the one that I feel most excited about. Okay. Have you ever done any of the Leadville races? Because I know they're kind of world-renowned. I have never done Leadville. I applied for it this year but didn't get into the 100. Um but I'm considering doing Lead Man next year. I don't know if you've heard of Lead Man. I, I have, but I don't know what that entails. And maybe some of the listeners don't. So if you would explain it, that'd be awesome, Ryan. Yeah, so it's essentially like you pay one price, I think, and you get automatic entry into every Leadville race. And in order to be a Lead Man, I think you have to complete every single one. So that would, uh, don't quote me on this, but roughly that's like the 50-mile mountain bike, the 100-mile mountain bike, the heavy half marathon the leadville marathon the leadville 50 and the leadville 100 all in one summer so you have to complete all those races back to back to back to back that sounds like something you you uh you would enjoy uh uh ryan for sure okay um what's uh so so when is this uh colorado trail how close are you out from uh you know uh, going going on that uh endeavor well, that's a good question. I, I've been kind of intentionally dodging that that question. But um, so the plan and I did speak about it a bit on another podcast. So I I was going to plan to do it July 1st. That was my goal. Um, unfortunately, that's not going to happen because I'm just recovering from this 70 mile unsupported run I did and uh, just kind of uh, have a sore knee. So I am, yeah, trying to be good about recovering and hoping for beginning of August. And um, it should take roughly two weeks. And so hopefully beginning of August will be the start date. Okay, cool, man. What's, uh, you mentioned recovery. Uh, that's something I, I want to kind of glean from you, Ryan, with, with everything that you do. What does recovery mean to you? What does it kind of look like uh, in the day to day? Let's just say, you know, you don't have a sore knee, everything's, you know, feels good and performing well. What, what are you doing to quote unquote recover? Um, the thing I try to focus on most is just sleep. I try to sleep eight or nine hours if I'm training really hard. Um, so that's like always the number one priority for me. I also do a ton of cold exposure. So got an ice barrel in the back. Uh, I jump in a lot of cold streams. Um, yeah, a lot of cold exposure, a lot of sleep. And then I think also for me, 
the worst thing that I can do for my own personal recovery is stay still. And I think now the science is starting to shift towards that. It used to be kind of this idea that when you're injured, you want to like lay around and not do anything. And now we're finding out that that doesn't really help inflammation as much as we thought it did, that moving can actually increase that circulation and blood flow even better than laying around and doing like the rest, ice, compress and elevate thing. So yeah, honestly, I think just like really gentle movement is, is another big part of my, uh, my recovery. Do you ever go to like, uh, like a chiropractor or do you get any type of, uh, tissue work done in terms of massage or is that something that you don't, uh, partake in? No, no, I, I love that stuff. Um, I have a doctor here in uh, in the city, his name's Russ and I call him my witch doctor. Um, we kind of go at it sometimes because he like, I'll walk in and he'll be like, what did you do? I'll be like, I ran 70 miles. I'll be like, why? Like, I biked 400 miles. He's like, why? You know, like, he's just like, we kind of go at it, but he understands ultimately like what my goals are. And, um, I get a little bit frustrated because I had some stuff going on early in my life, like the foot I told you about. And, um, yeah, I just got disillusioned by the medical field. So he never tries to sell me orthotics. He never, he tells me not to wear a brace. Uh, he doesn't try to sell me anything. He's just like, all right, here's the current status of your knee. Let's dry needle it. Let's massage it. Let's gun it. And then, you know, this week, only 20 miles and like shorten it down and then we'll reassess next week and and go from there and it's much more like having a like in a football sense it's like he's like the trainer right like the trainer after your football coach isn't trying to sell you new shoes he's just saying here's your timeline for recovery here's the small adjustments we can make and then let's reassess in a week or two and so i really appreciate him for that so shout out to russ cool um, now you mentioned that you, 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 the, the grounding thing at the beginning, just kind of start your day and, and doing a lot, just barefoot. When you do wear shoes, are you just like, uh, utilizing like zero drop type shoes or, you know, when you do some of these, uh, ultra runs, are you, uh, wearing hokas, which I'm sure you probably aren't, but, um, what, what is, what is the shoe collection of, of Ryan McGuire look like? So it's a lot of sandals. Um, I wear like Karachi style sandals a lot. And those are what I've done over the last three years, the most of my running in. Um, it's just like a super thin sole uh, with a canvas top. Um, and then in terms of like high athletic performance, if I'm racing, I'll wear ultras, which are a more minimalist style brand. They have a wide toe box. So I really have enjoyed getting to to know the Ultra brand and, and their different lineup of shoes. I think I still prefer sandals or barefoot, but when you want to have high performance, especially in running, there's a major disadvantage of barefoot in sandals, and it's downhill. Um, you can't go fast downhill barefoot or in sandals. So if you want to bomb downhill and do well in races – then you're going to need to wear shoes, or at least I, me personally, I need to wear shoes. So that's where the ultras come in. And I'm still kind of 50-50 going back and forth on, do I wear ultras for the Colorado Trail? Do I wear sandals? And I'm like, 
very torn on that decision because originally the Colorado trail was going to be uh, barefoot. And because of the knee thing, I was like, I'm already compromised. I'm going to wear shoes. And so now I'm like, do I, what, what kind of footwear do I go with? So that's, that's one thing I'm still working through in my head. Okay. Um, now can people, are you going to announce when you start the Colorado trail and can people kind of follow along like on a website or on your Instagram, uh, you know, things of that nature, or is that kind of against the rules? What does that look like if people do, you know, want to support you and, and uh, kind of follow along and, and things of that nature, Ryan? Yeah, I am going to try and update people personally, but ultimately I think some of that may be coming. I'll probably give someone like my passwords and then have them update. Uh, I have, I'll have some kind of GPS device that'll give pinpoints and times, right? Ryan was here at this location at this time and you can kind of see how I'm moving and then have someone else maybe update my Instagram for me. I'll try and do it when I have service, but there's a lot of areas where I won't have service. So that's the, that's the philosophy. I haven't really thought too much into that yet, but I'm sure we'll figure it out. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to end it with this question. Uh, we, I could continue to, ask you a, a plethora of questions because uh, you just have a very unique uh, life uh, compared to a lot of people that I've had on my podcast over the last five years. So, um, but in terms of being, you know, uh, in the back country, has there ever been a moment that you uh, came in contact with an, uh, like a, a bear, a mountain lion? I don't know what's out there. I know in Colorado, there's mountain lions, there's bears in certain parts, but you know, rattlesnakes, but have you ever come in contact with an animal and you like legit were uh, scared for your life or how do you approach those situations? If you've been in the, in them, which I'm, I'm sure I'm assuming you have. Yeah. All three rattlesnake mountain lion and bear. And, and uh, what else? And what else, Ryan? <laughs> and I've never really been scared for my life. Honestly, with an animal encounter i've been more scared um the scariest animal i've ever seen was a 40 year old man wearing ski goggles uh sprinting past my um truck we were out in the backcountry in arizona i had a truck that i was living in with my dog and this man comes sprinting past me mind you it's like 95 degrees on he has full ski goggles on and he's messed out like he's so high and he's flying like he's probably running a 4.8 like 40 meter dash and he's just doing wind sprints in the middle of the woods uh, and my dog starts my dog wanted to kill him like she was like i'm going to stop that thing whatever that is and so um yeah that's probably the scariest animal i've ever seen was probably a meth head that was i mean we're animals right we count we count in that orienting so um I also I have a video on my YouTube of us crossing a a bear eating a dead horse that was uh, out in the Ho rainforest. And that was pretty scary because we were like two days hike from any civilization and it was right on the trail. Someone I think had shot like a trail horse because if a horse breaks their leg, they're basically kind of done at that point being that far. And so I think they, they had shot the horse and the bear basically got on it and was protecting it as kind of its meal and it happened to be right 
like next to the trail. So we had to cross that twice going out and back. And that was, that was pretty scary. Wow. Okay. Um, I remember now you got to remember, I, you, you grew up mostly in Ohio. I grew up in, in currently in Iowa. So the Midwest, right. Uh, you know, there's, there's no, there's no bears or anything like that in Iowa, unless you're at a zoo, which that's a whole nother uh, topic and story. But um, when I was out in Colorado, cause I used to live out there, I was with somebody, uh, she was in her pickup truck. I was in my vehicle and we were going to see one of her friends and we were like, you know, this is, she lives, she, she lives in the Denver area. And that's, I was, I don't know, in Colorado Springs or Denver at that time in my life living. So in the city, but this individual lived kind of like not in the back country, but she lived in a nice house, kind of like in a very wooded area. And so I'm following this girl in her vehicle and, and all of a sudden, like she stopped in the middle of the road. I'm like, you know, like what's going on, you know? And all of a sudden there's like, I mean, huge, 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 huge bear, just like obviously minding its own business, but just, you know, it's like a Sunday afternoon going on a stroll across the road. I'm like, I, of course I took a picture. Cause I was like, this is something you do not see every day in Iowa, unless again, you're at the zoo. So that was kind of a, a cool moment for me. I can't even imagine like being outside of my vehicle, like up in the mountains and coming across a bear. I, I don't even know that. That would be crazy. Now, I just said that last, uh, that, that last question was going to be my last one, but I, I have to ask this question and, and, uh, get your, uh, uh, you know, get your, get your perspective or get your words on, on this topic, because I, I, uh, it popped up in my mind and I, I've got to ask it in terms of like, uh, significant other relationships and your, your lifestyle and the way that you live, how, how does that work? I mean, um, can, can you touch on that if you don't mind, Ryan? Uh, sure. Yeah. I, um, I have a, well, I have a girlfriend right now and, um, spending long stints in the back country is, a it's, a friction point, right? It's something that, that can be really hard on, on both of us. And it has led to issues in the past with other relationships. So I think, um, it's something you have to be very mindful about, especially if you're going, um, you know, like six, eight weeks without talking to your significant other, um, that can be really hard for folks and understandably so. So yeah, it's definitely something that you, you try and, and have understanding for like your other partner, you know, but yeah, it's just kind of part of the lifestyle. I know it's not necessarily the, the most normal thing in today's day and age, but throughout human history, there was um, frontiersmen, for example, they would, be in the east and they'd marry a woman then the next day they would leave for a trapping expedition to make money and they would see him two years later and and that was how it went you know there's different views right now because we're all so connected but honestly i think some of the time spent away from a significant other can do you a lot of good gives you the ability to think about the other person kind of in a vacuum and just think about how thankful you are for them in your day-to-day -day life and of course, like when you, like, you know, the, your current girlfriend, when you met her, I'm assuming, you know, you probably had a pretty candid conversation about who you are and kind of how you live your life. Right. She, yeah. She says that she knew what she was getting into. Like she, she knew it was part of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I would hope so. Right. So cool. All right, Ryan, we're going to end it there, man. I, uh, before I do a quick outro, 
Um, first of all, I just want to say thanks for coming on, man. And, uh, you know, being, being a great sport, answering some of my maybe, uh, questions that you've never been asked before on a podcast or, uh, from, from another human. So, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for candidly sharing your story. I want to give you the opportunity. If you feel like there's anything that you want to leave with all of us listeners, uh, before we uh, sign out today, um, uh, you know, if you want to give everybody, uh, your Instagram, any shout outs, sponsors, where people can follow you, connect with you. I'm going to turn it over to you and then I'll do a quick outro and I'll let you go. So platform is yours, my man. Yeah, you can, uh, you can find more about me at ryan.quinn.mcguire on Instagram. And my podcast is called Who the Wild Things Are. Wild, as we mentioned, is spelled with a Y, W-Y-L-D. So that's on Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you you watch podcasts. And yeah, who the wild things are. And Instagram is kind of the the two avenues that that I use to stay connected. Okay, awesome, man. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again, Ryan, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, man. Thanks. Okay. You're very welcome. All of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you. And if you guys would like to connect with me, which I'm always down to connect with others, uh, it's a huge uh, you know, part of the podcast is bringing people on to share their story, but then also connecting with other people through the podcast. So if you'd like to reach out to me, if you'd like to connect with me on social media, uh, you can find me on Instagram, Curious and Canon Podcast. Just shoot me a DM, introduce yourself, and would love to uh, would love to uh, connect. And then also another place that you can reach out to me and connect, uh, Curious and Canon Podcast at gmail.com. This is also a place if you feel like you would be a great guest or if you have a friend or an acquaintance you think would be a great guest or guest for Curious and Canon Podcast, just shoot me an email, introduce yourself, introduce uh, your friend or an acquaintance, and we can take it from there. Please subscribe to Curious and Canada on iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And then finally, um, if you have any interest in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can visit my website, uh, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, I appreciate all of you. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid. We'll catch you all next time.